You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries, and with that we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Useless information. Hi, I'm Steve Silverman, and you're listening to a classic episode of the Useless Information Podcast. For your listening pleasure, I have for you today the story of the U.S. Bicycle Corps, which was released back on March 29th of 2009. And it seemed like everyone was taking up cycling in the latter part of the 19th century. So it really should come as no surprise that the federal government looked into determining how feasible bicycles were for military use. Now, one thing that I clearly remember about this episode is that a listener wrote to me complaining that I was mispronouncing St. Louis. All through this episode, you'll hear me saying St. Louis. In addition, I'm talking way too fast, which was uh, very common for me to do in these early episodes. In fact, it's still a bad habit of mine, so it's something I'm always conscious of as I record a new episode. So let's do a bit of time travel back to 2009 and hear what I had to say. Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast, my collection of fascinating true stories from the flip side of three. My name is Steve Silverman, and today's story is on the U.S. Bicycle Corps. But before we talk about that story, let's start with today's question of the day. Now, for today's question of the day, I'm going to give a list of six people. And what I want you to do is tell me what these six people have in common. And I know that they're all men, uh, and but I will tell you that there are women that also have this in common. They're just not as famous. So the answer to this question is not that they're all men. What I want you to do is tell me something else that these uh, six people have in common. And I just kind of jotted these down on a piece of scrap paper, uh, no particular order to them. The first person on my list is Edwin Hubble, a famous astronomer. Of course, uh, the Hubble telescope is named after him. The second person on my list is the famous singer and actor Chris Christopherson. The third on my list is, is uh, Bobby Jindal, Louisiana governor, and some people say possibly somewhere down the road, uh, U.S. president. Uh, number four is George Stephanopoulos, who is a, uh, a former assistant to Bill Clinton and currently hosts the ABC uh, Political Sunday show this week. The fifth person on my list is Bill Bradley, a uh, famous basketball player, uh, former senator, and even at one time a candidate for president of the United States. 
And the last person on my list is David Souter, who's currently an associate justice of the Supreme Court in the United States. All six of these people, plus a bunch of others that are not as famous, have something in common. What is it that they have in common? And I'll let you know the answer to this question at the end of the podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And now for today's story on the United States Bicycle Corps. Now, you may recall about a year ago in February of 2008, I did a story on the United States Camel Corps. And this story is actually fairly similar and even occurs around the same time because the United States government was looking for efficient, fast ways to move their troops around this very, very large country that we live in. Keep in mind that the automobile, the motorcycle uh, trucks, they were still years away from mass production, so they were not an option to be considered. Really, the only way to move troops, you know, say from the East Coast to the West Coast of the United States and vice versa, was either by railroad, by horse, or by the seas. Now, if we look at the railroads, that's a really great idea, but you're stuck on tracks, and that really limits where you can go. Sure, you can move a lot of troops and a lot of equipment very quickly, but you're really limited in where you can go in such a very large country. And moving by horse, the old standby, was not very practical because there's a lot of maintenance, a lot of care, a lot of food that was needed uh, for horses. And even moving by sea, another old standby, was not very practical for the United States because to get from the East Coast to the West Coast and vice versa, you had to go all the way down around the tip of South America. The Panama Canal was still years away from being completed. So why bicycles? We need to realize that towards the end of the 19th century, bicycles are becoming more reliable and much easier to ride. And that's really due to two inventions. The first was uh, the invention in 1874 of the safety chain-driven bike by H.J. Lawson, although some people give the credit to uh, John Starley in 1877, and also the invention of the pneumatic or air-filled tire by John Dunlop in 1887. These two inventions made biking much Uh, safer, much more, uh, let's say, comfortable, right, riding on a pneumatic tire. So therefore, bicycling became very, very popular. And believe it or not, preliminary tests showed that it it would actually take less time to move troops on bicycles on well-paved roads than you could do by horses because horses required all the care and maintenance and rest. While he certainly didn't originate the idea, the real catalyst behind using bicycles to move army troops around the United States was actually the brainchild of a West Point graduate named James A. Moss. It took a bit of uh, begging and pleading, but Moss was actually finally authorized to establish the 25th U.S. Infantry Bicycle Corps at Fort Missoula in Montana in July of 1896. Of course, Lieutenant Moss was put in command, but if you were putting together a bicycle corps for the military for the first time, what kind of troops would you include? Well, here's what uh, Moss actually had. He had a sergeant, a corporal, a musician. He needed someone to play Reveille and Taps, and he had five privates also under him, which included a mechanic. Someone needed to fix these bicycles as they uh, moved around the country. Once everything was put in place, they began to practice, practice, practice. And boy, did they practice. They rode somewhere between 15 and 40 miles each day on these old-fashioned bicycles. And if that wasn't enough, they needed ways to get over fences and to carry their bikes across streams, so they practiced that also. So it was a lot of exercise getting these men ready for the long journey that they anticipated to move the troops along. 
And once they felt that the troops were trained, it was time for the first big challenge. After all, it's one thing to get trained, but you need to prove this idea will actually work. Will using bicycles be better than horses, be better than the railroad, and getting your troops and gear from one place to another? Well, their first major challenge was a bike ride to Lake McDonald, which lied about 150 miles north of Fort Missoula. And Lake McDonald happens to be the largest lake in the Glacier National Park. And believe it or not, they managed to get to the lake in just 24 hours of pedaling time. That's not total time. That's just how many hours they spent pedaling. 24 hours. That's actually pretty good. After the successful trip to Lake McDonald, it was time for a more grueling challenge. And they decided to pedal their way to Yellowstone Park and back. And believe it or not, they covered 791 miles in just 126 hours of traveling time. Pretty remarkable. It's about six and a half miles per hour, which if you think about it with the bad roads, actually lack of roads in many places, and even how crude the bicycles were at that time, that's a pretty amazing time. Actually, it sounds pretty painful without the shocks and the rubber seats that we have today. And then it was time for their ultimate challenge. It was decided they would bike all the way to St. Louis. Now, you don't have to know much about geography to know that St. Louis is a long way from Montana. In fact, it was estimated to be about 2,800 miles at the time to go there and come back. Now, the path was actually chosen because it had a very long length, of course, uh, but it was also rugged and had very extreme weather conditions. And they followed the path of the railroads, so it seemed like the easiest way to go, which would take them through, and get this, they went through Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota, Nebraska, and ultimately, since they were going to St. Louis, they ended up in Missouri. It was ultimately decided that for such a long journey, the 25th Infantry needed to be expanded to 23 men, which would include a surgeon and an additional corporal. Now, everyone who went on this trip actually volunteered. There were more than 40 men that wanted to go, and in the end, they chose the most physically fit men. Now, what's very unusual for the time is that all the men that were chosen were black. Other than Moss and the doctor, everyone along on the trip, uh, everyone bicycling along was black. Uh, there was also a reporter named Edwin H. Booz from the Daily Missoulian who accompanied them on the trip to report how things were going. Basically, every time they got in town, he would go to uh, a telegraph and report back as to how their progress was uh, moving along. Keep in mind that the bicycles of this time were not the streamlined, multi-geared, lightweight models of today. These were heavy steel beasts, and you know they weighed nearly 80 pounds when packed with their gear. There was just no way that they could carry everything along the entire, you know, everything needed for the entire trip. So they arranged for food pickups every hundred miles or so. After all, they were following the railroad tracks, so it was very easy to put these supplies along the way. And they're off. Well, maybe not, but they left Fort Missoula at dawn on Sunday, June 14, 1897. And very quickly, they encountered a violent afternoon thunder shower uh, and had to deal with all the mud that stuck to their wheels. They actually ended up walking their bikes for part of the day, yet somehow managed to cover 54 and a half miles on their very first day. It's pretty amazing. And as is very typical for stories like this, things would only get worse. They hit a terrible sleet and snowstorm on the Continental Divide on the fourth day. They had to deal with frozen fingers, ears, you know, all that, and yet they still managed to carry on. Then they encountered incredible swarms of mosquitoes at Fort Custer in Montana. They had to deal with rocky roads. And somehow, and I always find this amazing, is they managed to cross the Little Bighorn River seven different times. Seems to me if you cross once, that's it. But they managed to do it seven times. And how about their 20-mile uphill climb under an intense sun in Gillette, Wyoming? These are pretty bad conditions to deal with on a very crude bike. 
As if the prickly pear cactus needles in South Dakota weren't bad enough, they were forced to drink very, very alkali water, and it made Lieutenant Moss very sick, and they had to leave him behind. He had to spend four days in Alliance, Nebraska uh, while he got well. And he later caught up to them, uh, you know, by hopping the train and, uh, you know, met up with them four days later. But during these four days without Moss, they encountered the hottest temperatures of the journey, sometimes in excess of a scorching 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And to make it worse, their bikes were sinking 8 to 10 inches in the sand, and they had no choice but to ride their bikes along the railroad, bouncing along along the ties. Just think what that's like on a bike with no shocks. Even worse, half of the men became sick from the alkali water, and two had developed blisters on their feet from the very, very hot sand. Yet, they pedaled on. Personally, I would have stopped at the station and taken that last train back to Clarksville, but they kept going on. One thing they had not anticipated, however, was the response of local populace, particularly in Missouri, uh, to the arrival of black men on bicycles riding through their community. Now, there was no violence reported, but the racist comments sometimes just permeated the air as they passed on through. Now, their journey finally ended uh, in St. Louis at 6 p.m. on July 24th when they arrived to a very, very large group of cheering people. Uh, and this was actually followed by a parade several days later. Now, for those of you that hate numbers, you may want to cover your ears for a second here, but here are the stats on their journey. First of all, they made the trip in 40 days. That was 34 days actually traveling and six days that were needed for resting. They managed to push their bikes, yes, push their bikes for 400 of the 1,900 miles that they actually traveled, and they averaged 52 miles per day. 52 miles per day, that's actually very good. But most importantly, uh, it was shown that men on bikes could actually move, be moved twice as fast at one-third of the cost of moving troops by horse at the time. While their journey was a success, albeit a really grueling one, the Army actually concluded that the obstacles to ride back to Fort Missoula were actually too great in order that they make the return trip by train. And that really was the final nail in the coffin for the 25th Infantry Bicycle Corps. And they were officially disbanded on April 10th, 1898, about uh, 10 months after their historic trip. And if there were any thoughts of trying it again in the future, they were quickly wiped out uh, at the turn of the century by cars, motorcycles, and trucks. It was now easy to move troops anywhere off track and not by horse. But believe it or not, bicycles were still used to move infantry into the 21st century, and that was until the Swiss Army Bicycle Regiment was disbanded. And there are even reports of folding mountain bikes being used by the U.S. Special Forces in their fight against the Taliban in Afghanistan. Now, one final suggestion. I think that they should eliminate the intense Tour de France bike race, the Ironman Challenge, and all those ultra-intense marathons. Having modern athletes race along the path of these 23 men would certainly be the most grueling challenge of all time. Useless, useful, I'll leave that for you to decide. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. 
and you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now for a few words from our retro sponsor. Hello, Gracie. Oh, hello, Bill. Where are you walking to? Oh, down to Sunset. Well, I'm driving that way. Hop in. I'll take you as far as my house. Oh, thanks, Gracie. Gee, you know, Gracie, I'm getting a lot of lips from girls lately. Only last night I had a funny experience riding in my girlfriend's car. Really? What happened? Well, I asked her to stop, so she did. And she kind of put her head on my shoulder and I was whispering to her. What were you whispering, Bill? Oh, you know, Gracie, just cuddly stuff. Well, like what? Like what? <laughs> oh, you know the same thing George whispered when he was courting you. Oh. And did she lend you the money? <laughs> No, that that wasn't it, Gracie. Uh, I said to her, Gertrude, would you give me a kiss? And she said no. And I said, would you for a big red apple? And she said no. And I said, would you for a bar of swan soap? And she said, yes, because swan is the new white floating soap that's purer than the finest Castile soap. Pure as an angel, mild as a warm spring rain. So, so then you kissed her? Well, I started to, but she slapped me. Oh, well, you were naughty. Oh, I'll say I was naughty. I interrupted her before she could finish saying that swan is so pure, it's always kind to your hands. No matter what soap and water job you use it for. Washing the dishes, washing hankies, hose and undies. Any job that calls for loads and loads of mild, pure suds. Well, what did you do after she slapped you, Bill? Well, I decided to use caveman tactics. I grabbed Gertrude in my arm. Oh? I crushed her to me. Yes? A light came into my eyes. It did? Yes, it was a cop with a flashlight. <laughs> well, he said, all right, you two, break it up, break it up. Uh, well, well, what did you do? Well, we broke it up. She took half the bar of swan, and I took the other half. <laughs> you know, that's easy to do with swan, Gracie. Just a flick of the wrist, and you get two swell cakes of soap. One for the kitchen for dishes and cleaning, and one for the bathroom for your hands and face. Well, what finally happened, Bill? Oh, I'd, I'd rather not tell you. Oh, come on, tell me. What did Gertrude say? Oh, Gracie, I'd rather not tell you. Well, you'll have to get out now, Bill. You can walk home from here. You guessed it, Gracie. That's just what Gertrude said. <laughs> well, goodbye. Tell George I'll see him later. All right, goodbye. Oh, I wish George would take Bill aside and have a little talk with him. I bet George could learn plenty. <laughs> Are you, George? I'm home. I love how they worked the commercials into the show scripts back then. That's actually from the uh, December 1st, 1942 episode of the George Burns and Gracie Allen show, uh, and it was titled Tootsie Sagwell Fixes George's Car. It's actually one of my favorite episodes of all the ones they ever did. Now, Swan Soap at the time was a competitor of Ivory. You get the idea? Ivory, Swan, both very you know pure and white. They're both floating soaps. And uh, they sponsored the show from 1941 to 1945. I just love them. And every, every episode was different. The commercials were always worked in in a different way. And now for a few totally useless yet totally true tidbits from history. It's time for what I like to call News of the Weird Past. And our first story goes back to January of 1924, where it was reported that women in England who had been divorced from their husbands actually got notches put on their rings as to cross out their marriage. They didn't want to take off the rings, so therefore they would just get a jeweler to put a cut across it. And if they had multiple divorces, they would get multiple cuts across the ring. Of course, this never really caught on, because just think what uh, Elizabeth Taylor's ring would look like today. 
Okay, so that was a bad joke. How about this one from January of 1931, which reported that a giant whale was going to make a 3,000-mile trip across the United States from Los Angeles to New York. Why? How? Very simple. Uh, someone concluded that people who lived inland had never seen a whale. So what they were going to do is preserve one and actually put it on a trailer and tow it behind a car across the country so people could actually see a real-life whale. Makes sense to me. And our last little tidbit goes back to February 1938, and I think you'll like this one, which reported that alligators that were kept as specimens at the United States Bureau of Fisheries Aquarium in Washington, D.C., were actually being tried out as plumber's assistants. What would they do? They'd drop them down into clogged pipes where they'd swim up and hopefully punch a little hole in it, and then the water that drained through would clean them out totally. Don't think it ever caught on, but maybe this explains why there are occasional reports of alligators in the sewers of New York City and other major cities. And now, the answer to today's question of the day, where I asked what the following people all had in common. They were Edwin Hubble, Bill Bradley, George Stephanopoulos, David Souter, Chris Christopherson, and Bobby Jindal. And there are others that can be added to this list. What they all had in common is that they are Rhodes Scholars. Now, in case you're curious, the Rhodes Scholarship is named after British businessman Cecil Rhodes, who had become fabulously wealthy from exploiting Africa for diamonds. His company, De Beers, is still around today. And in fact, the country Rhodesia, Rhodes, Rhodesia, was named after him. Of course, that's now Zimbabwe and Zambia. Now, the Rhodes Scholarship was established in 1902 when he left his fortune to be used for uh, bringing outstanding students from all around the world to study at the University of Oxford in England. And in fact, there are 90 scholarships per year given out. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's story on the U.S. Bicycle Corps, along with the question of the day on the Road Scholars, the retro sponsor from the Burns and Allen Show, along with the news of the weird past tidbits. If you'd like to read more true stories just like it, please be sure to get a copy of one of my books. They are Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart, and both are written by me, Steve Silverman. They're available from your local bookseller, online, and from your local library. If for some reason you'd like to contact me, I don't know why you'd want to, you simply can drop me an email at useless at steve.silverman.name. That's useless at steve.silverman.name. Or you can visit my website at uselessinformation.org. That's uselessinformation.org. Lastly, I would appreciate if you could log into iTunes and leave some positive comments to help increase the number of listeners to this podcast. Well, thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in the next time. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.